Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Okay. So, series. So, this series, God Gave Me You, we are walking through the book of Acts during this season of Pentecost. And the whole idea is that we know that Jesus leaves us in the season for good, right? So we've had Resurrection Sunday. He comes back for a while. Then he leaves, remember, on a cloud. That was my, was my go-to phrase in the first one when we talked about Jesus' presence. But then we also get these stories between now and Pentecost in the book of Acts about Christian community. And some of them are amazing, like last week when we talked about Ananias. And that particular Ananias was a very noble man who, despite, you know, knowing that Saul used to persecute Christians, goes to Saul and helps him heal right? In his moment of vulnerability and weakness, even though he's like, and God, are you sure he's not going to kill me this time? It's like the ultimate Tom and Jerry cartoon, right? But one of the things that we know is that there are actually three men by the name of Ananias that appear in the Bible. And each plays a role in the New Testament book of Acts, in the book that helps outline the foundations of Christian community. So though the church didn't look like what we consider the church now, it is the seeds, the foundation, whichever metaphor you want to use, of Christian community, of the things that build the church. So the first Ananias, as we talked about last week, you know, um, is featured in a dramatic episode that takes place in the early Jerusalem church. And so at that time in the newly forming church, all the believers came together in community for mutuality. Remember we've talked about that, that where you have need, God provides mutuality, right? And so um, the believers would come together in this early time of Christian community and they would share their money and their possessions. Not far removed from what we do now, right? So it tells us in Acts 4, so we're going to be in Acts 4 and Acts 5. The main part of the story is in Acts 5, but we'll also be in Acts 4. So all the believers came together to sell their possessions. We find this in Acts 4, beginning in 32, going through um, those last verses. And so it says there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. We find that in Acts 4 and 34. So as we move out of Acts 4, Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, were wealthy members of the church during this season of united purpose. When they sold a parcel of their own property, the two secretly conspired to withhold a portion of the profit for themselves and then lie about the total. So Ananias arrives first and lays the money at the apostles' feet, claiming he had given all to the church. By divine revelation, the Holy Spirit will come to understand, Peter calls out Ananias for lying to the Holy Spirit and to God. 
Upon hearing Peter's words in chapter 5, Ananias falls to the ground and dies. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I remember God smiting people, but that was like all in the Old Testament, like, right? So not, like now, like this is a gospel, like what is going on? Okay, so hold that. About three hours later, Sapphira arrived. This is Ananias' wife. Not knowing what had happened, she too lies about the offering and is also struck dead. Well, huh? What's going on? Okay, so let's back up and walk through this just a little bit. So this is the story. The community is there. They're meeting people's needs. No one has need of anything. They sell their things. They bring it. If people need something, the needs get taken care of. They go about their business. They build more things. They get more businesses, right? They sell them again if people, right? Very well-oiled communal machine of mutuality. And then Ananias, as a part of this community, sells something, brings the money. So he's not selfish or stingy. He brings the money, right? But then he lies about how much he had sold the property for and drops dead immediately. And then his wife comes in, tells the same lie, also drops dead immediately. Okay. So the thing is, is that in chapter four, Luke paints a very idealistic portrait of the Jerusalem church. How he describes them as a faithful congregation in verses 23 through 31, and then loving, verses 32 through 35. He then cites the example in 36 through 37 of Barnabas, who also sells some land, right? And then brings it with no incident. There's no extra descriptors. He's not a liar. He's not generous. He just, matter of fact, he sold it. He brings the money. He goes. And so what Luke paints for us is what God intends and why Jesus was with us for a time. It's to form a particular kind of community of believers. Because there were communities of believers in the synagogues. Remember the story of the Messiah and Jewish belief in a Messiah that was coming was already there. They would talk about it. They would pontificate about what it would look like. How will we know? And so faithful communities of believers existed before Christ. So what is it about the picture that Luke is painting that makes this particular church in Jerusalem different? Well, the thing is, is that Luke is describing Intimacy, collaboration, mutuality, and presence. Luke is describing the gifts that Jesus gave us through the revelation of the miracles. Why am I healing people? Why am I turning water into wine? Why am I bringing people together and feeding them with five loaves and fishes on grassy knolls in front of everyone? Because I want to tell folks that the way we need to be the way, remember? Because they didn't call it Christianity. They called it the way. The way to be together now that I have been with you is through these values, through these priorities, through these principles. Now, I'm going to leave you. How did Jesus leave? On a cloud. 
I'm going to leave you. And so to help you do these things, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. And so Luke highlights in Acts 4 these aspects of the community and their generosity and what they're doing, not to say be perfect like them. This is not a WWJD like moment, like they are the best Christians. They are just like Jesus. Rather, Luke highlights this because Luke wants to show us an example. Luke wants to give readers a more complete view of the situation within the church and how the Holy Spirit ushers in authenticity. See, there's what Christ's presence with us brought, the intimacy, the collaboration, the mutuality, the presence. But a complete view of the situation in the church means that I I also have to show you chapter five. I also have to show you the existence of dishonesty. That is an authentic picture of community. In the beginning of chapter five, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, right? My child is calling me. Um, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, provides an example that showed the church to be less than perfect. Why would you do that? We're still trying to figure it out. We need examples of what to do. Luke recounts what must have been a well-known but tragic story of Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. Here's where the issue is. In verse 3 of chapter 5, Luke says that they lied to the Holy Spirit. The story, which takes place in verses 1 through 11, actually continues Luke's account of how the believers shared their possessions. It wasn't that Ananias and Sapphira didn't share their possessions. This is not an issue of selfishness, which I was actually taught when I was taught the story growing up in church. Because Luke actually says, like, you could have kept whatever you wanted. It was your land to sell. You didn't even have to sell it in the first place. What Luke condemns is the portrayal of their generosity that is incongruent with their desires and their intentions. You could have kept whatever you wanted. And you could have told me that you kept what you wanted. But Sapphira and Ananias' denial of their own desires to themselves, not just to Peter. They denied the desire that within their community they wanted to be looked at in a particular way. Because if they had been honest with the fact that they wanted to be portrayed in the same way and and loved in the same way and thanked in the same way that Barnabas had been portrayed. Then they would have reckoned within themselves about how much they were given. But their initial desire that they wanted to look denial, that they wanted to look a certain way to their community led to their denial, and their lie to the Holy Spirit. At the community level, 
The incident shows that the church, even in its earliest days, was not a community of perfect people. Sigh of relief. No, we wax nostalgic. And in shaming ourselves for falling short as a community, we often say that those before us got it right. When the truth of the matter is, is they did the best that they could just like we're doing, right? The incident also shows that perhaps Luke tells the stories to warn readers not to overestimate not only the spiritual perfection of the first believers, but also that at the individual level, the best intentions of good works, generosity, can have unintended negative consequences. In short, the church is always an imperfect shining body that daily needs the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to evoke bravery and courage to be aligned with the will of God and not our own desires. That somehow, in being honest about our desires, not in denying them, is the path to authenticity. Because here's the thing. In verses 2 through 4, we see the problem of Ananias and Sapphira is that they wanted to receive the reputation for a greater personal sacrifice than they actually made. The church's well-intentioned sharing of goods actually probably led to this subtle pressure that created the invitation for their dishonesty. So at the same time, while this is a shining example of how the gift of Christ gives us intimacy, collaboration, mutuality, and presence, every time there is a bright light, there is also a long shadow. And what we also see present in the community when we deny our desires is doubt, questions, need, longing. Perhaps Ananias and Sapphira got caught up in a bandwagon effect. The couple wanted to appear as outstanding church members, but they didn't want to part with their actual possessions. Maybe they needed them. Maybe they were taking care of things that other people in the community weren't taking care of. Maybe they had debts that other people in the community didn't have. Maybe they had family members they were taking care of in other cities that were not a part of this community. Either way it goes, in order to have both, both their reputation and what they truly desired, they secretly kept part of the money for themselves. Thus, they tried to deceive the community around them and the community that they were within. They betrayed their relationships. They could have still met the needs of the community around them, even if they were honest. I mean, when you sell a parcel of land and you're amongst community that is also selling and giving, that's part of why we give together, right? It all adds up. Their failure in their faith 
is not selfishness. Their failure in their faith is that they didn't believe that God could bless them or the community with who they truly were and what they truly had to give. What if you can't give every night of the week? What if you can't volunteer every Sunday? Can you be honest with that? Are you in a community that can receive whatever offering you have to give? And here's the question that we learn from Ananias and Sapphira. Do you believe you're in a community where you can offer whatever it is that you have to give? Peter tells Ananias, didn't the land belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Verse four, Ananias was perfectly free to keep or sell his property as he saw fit. He could have kept all the money for himself and nobody would have said anything about it. Not even Peter. The sin of Ananias was not in keeping his money, but in lying to the community and hence the Holy Spirit. The sin of which Ananias was guilty was hypocrisy. A sin, actually, from which Jesus was the most scathing in his condemnations. Ananias was under no obligation, like I said before. So Luke tells us that Ananias, with full knowledge of his wife, was keeping part of the money for himself. In, in Greek, nosphizin is kept back. Are you keeping a part of yourself back? Our mission at Life in Debellum to be a church for the community, we admit it's aspirational. Just like Ananias and Sapphira had aspirations to be as generous as their neighbors in their community were. Are you holding back? The more we count on you, the less we can invite other people in. It isn't the sin that you can't be here Tuesday night for DSCV, Thursday night for Abide, Friday night for Kimball High School, Saturday for Dallas County voting, and Sunday for the gathering. The sin, the misalignment, the invitation to examine ourselves more fully is, are you being honest about whether or not you can show up and when. One of the things we draw from this incident is that the, the sin of Ananias threatens to stop the progress of the gospel because it destroys the integrity of the community. If the community is known as being generous and Ananias lies about his generosity, then the people who need their generosity stop coming to them. In life in Deep Ellum, if we are not honest, if we lie to the Holy Spirit about our ability to show up for Deep Ellum, Deep Ellum will stop coming to us. The Jerusalem church clearly sees the lesson in the death of Ananias and Sapphira. 
But here's the thing about understanding Ananias and Sapphira as a little bit more human than we typically cast them. If we're honest about the fact that Ananias and Sapphira were succumbing to the internal pressures of community while letting down the external neighbors in their community, then what we have to admit is that on one level, Peter is showing us the power of the human heart to derail the work of the Holy Spirit. Had Ananias and Sapphira surrendered to the workings of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, they would have just been honest about how much money they were giving. And the integrity of the community would not have come into question. However, we shouldn't overstate Peter's ability to figure out that they were lying. Peter was not necessarily omniscient. (laughs) Discernment is not some spooky superpower that he had because he was a disciple. Discernment is a gift from God that aligns us with God's will and keeps us intimately connected with God. Discernment is both a function of prayer and a guidance with the Holy Spirit. Attunement to the context around you that begins with you being honest. So here's the thing. If we make Ananias and Sapphira more human, more like us, able to succumb to the pressures of community, rather than sinful, selfish people who deserve to drop dead on the spot, that brings up some uncomfortable questions about God. How does a New Testament God that sends his son to save us still smite people? It's part of the reason why we need Jesus in the first place. It's part of the reason why God needs Jesus in the first place. The triune God that we believe in as a creedal community is absolutely necessary to understanding how an imperfect church still accomplishes the will of God. See, God the Spirit, God the Father, God the Son. One of the things that we gather is that the God of justice, God the Creator, needed Jesus the Christ, the Redeemer. And Christ the Redeemer, knowing that he had to leave us, And we would still sometimes lose our way needed to gift us the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the wise guide. So though the story of Ananias and Sapphira ends on a tragic note, one of the things that we realize is that God, who is omniscient, knows exactly what we need. And what we want. For us as believers, there is a disconnect between our actions and our words. We can say we're a people of grace and yet be ungracious. We can say we love God's kindness. We welcome God's forgiveness and they be unremarkably unkind and unforgiving and unwelcoming. It's cynical to watch our imperfections as a church. Sometimes it can cause us to give up. 
It can cause our neighbors to look upon us and question our identity as a community. It can cause our witness to be undermined. One of the things that's helped me keep my sanity, especially in the last half of 2021, is this podcast for pastors um, called You're Not Crazy. Sam Alberry and Ray Ortland, they explore how church can believe something on paper and yet not actively live into the beautiful light of the truth. Because most churches are missional communities with missions we know are a little bit too big for us that we've got to grow into. And so much like a high profile celebrity that tries to be vegan and then one day goes to a restaurant and a chef who's trying to impress them brings a huge plate of food that has all the meats, all the cheeses, and then the paparazzi snaps a picture. And now they've got some explaining to do. It's also like that for us as believers. The disconnect between our actions and our words. What happens If the picture is snapped on a day and none of the church is in that picture. Will we be made liars? That story and that picture, is it true of who we are? One of the reasons why this week was hard for me, why though I know we're all busy and I invite you every week to come spend time with me, and some people do, but most of the time you don't. One of the reasons why this week was hard for me, however, was because the artists and the young people in this neighborhood this week lost two young people by suicide. Though it wasn't suicide, I can remember a 16-year-old, Miranda, in East Texas whose friend got hit by a drunk driver the night of our homecoming parade and bonfire. And we saw it. They ran through the barricades. And as some of us ran across the street thinking we had the protection of our police and our adults, someone ran through the barricades and hit one of our friends and called into question everything we knew about our adults and our community. It was not my parents' most shining moment because the Orthodox religion that we, I grew up in believed that if you weren't a part of their faith, you weren't going to heaven. And so on the night that her family gathered at their church, my parents made me go to Wednesday night Bible study. And I sat in those pews and I wondered how the God that saved me could not save her. 
And had the picture been taken that day of my faith community, we would have all failed. If the picture were taken this week, life in Deep Ellum, we would have all failed. I can remember the adults that were there for me at my high school that prayed with me. They were not the adults that were in my faith community. Is the gap between our aspirations and our actuality, our mission here at Life in Debellum to be a church for the community, is that gap too wide to traverse? It isn't. Because our desire is to be that. But in order to authentically live into that desire, we need the Holy Spirit to guide our steps each day. The gift of the comforter to remind us with wisdom where it is we are to be and how it is we are to be. The horizon is upon us, life in deep ellum. Remember that thing I keep telling you about the horizon? You think you're getting close to it and then it goes far away again. With the wisdom and the comfort and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, my hope is next week we'll get a little closer. And that right now, as we grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn, in the ways that we have fallen short as Sapphira and Ananias did. The Holy Spirit is there for us as well. That we will not die on the spot and be smited by the Old Testament God because we believe in Christ the Redeemer, in the Holy Spirit, the Comforter.